Private Lender Podcast, Episode 124. The Private Lender Podcast quote of the day comes to us from Miguel de Cervantes, who said, Never stand begging for that which you have the power to earn. This is the Private Lender Podcast, the show that shares practical advice and know-how for new and seasoned lenders, from private mortgages on single-family houses to joint ventures on commercial projects and beyond. Discover details about investment vehicles that you won't find at your local bank or online broker. Listen and learn from private lenders and real estate investors, as well as from professionals and entrepreneurs, as they share the details, strategies, and the insight that allows for successful and prosperous lending. Now, get ready to increase your ROI. Here's your host, Keith Baker. Hello, Lender Nation, and greetings from the laughing stock of the professional sports world, Houston, Texas. And welcome to episode 124 of the Private Lender Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Baker, and I'd like to thank you for sharing your time and your ears with me today. If you're looking for practical tips and advice on private lending and how to keep your money safe, then you are in the right place. But if you want to learn from my mistakes so that you can both, one, avoid them, and two, profit from them, well, then pull up a chair and pour yourself a drink, my friend, because this podcast is just for you. The Private Lender Podcast is dedicated to giving people just like you and I the knowledge and the confidence to participate in the most passive form of real estate investing known to man, private lending. And if you're looking for a shortcut to begin private lending, then head over to the privatelenderpodcast.com forward slash Inc. to learn how you can put your money to work for you by investing in real estate backed loans right here in the Houston area with my friend Paul Lamnados over at Blink Lending. Remember, that's privatelenderpodcast.com forward slash Inc. I-N-K. Also, make sure to join the Private Lender Podcast Facebook group in order to connect with other private lenders and to be part of the ever-growing community. All right, let's do it. I'm excited to get to the interview with today's guest, Kayla Wojcik, who's the founder and director of sales and operations at Flipco Financial, which just opened their doors and started lending in November 2020. Flipco is a team of forward-thinking individuals in the single-family real estate investing sector focused on bringing a better financing product to the Houston market and soon nationally. And what makes Flipco a private lender a little different is is they were funded and started with with one person's capital who wanted to put it to work, or a few, a handful, but it was private capital that was put to work, just like me. But the angel investor that started it had a lot more money to get started with first and was smart enough to hire Kayla to run the business for him. So let's get down to the brass tacks of today's show and listen to the interview with Kayla Wojcik as she discusses her lending criteria. Linda Nation, I'm honored today to have Kayla Wojcik from Flipco Financial come to the Private Lender Podcast. Welcome, Kayla. Hi. Hello, everybody. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Thanks for coming on. You have a very interesting story and background that I'm a fan of. So obviously, you're Houston area, you know, providing uh, flips and, and money for investments. So Let's start back, uh, not at the very beginning, but you know, how did you, how did you get into the real estate space? And uh, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I don't think we have time to start from the beginning, huh? <laughs> but let's say, let's see. So a little towards the background, around 18 years old, I worked for an attorney and he really wanted to get into the tax foreclosure market. So he would throw down the list on my desk. He would say, hey, I need you to circle the ones that you like you know, didn't really give me any direction. And then I'm going to need you to go and knock on those guys' doors and offer them uh, whatever amount I tell you for those deals. So I did. I went out there. I I door knocked a a few times. I got a lot of door slams and just people all around not answering. So it just, it was kind of like the, the good old old school way of doing it. And it really scared the crap out of me. 
So 18 years old, that's a lot, I think, for someone so young that doesn't know much about how that works to just that's their first initial kind of introduction to that. So it it really lit a fire under me and I wanted to learn more about that. I just, something about when people kind of door slam, you're missing something. Cause other than that, they would have stayed and talked to you for a minute. I did set out to, to learn more about it, but fast forward, I came to the Houston market almost three years now. Basically the opportunity for real estate flipping was a lot more attractive than where, it, where I was at, which was in San Antonio, Texas. Not a bad market, not a bad area, but it's still a little bit slower moving, especially when you're looking at Houston, it's almost like you're looking at uh, something that just looks a little bit more. You just want to get at that, whatever that is. So I came into the market as a wholesaler. I connected with a high volume wholesaler just to help kickstart myself and give myself all the tools that I needed in order to be successful at that. Within my first two weeks of being there, I made my first acquisitions and sold it, (laughs) which they had told me all throughout, you know, you're not going to do anything for the next three to four months, you know, don't expect to get paid in other words. So I hit the ground running with that, (laughs) you know, and I did very well with doing wholesaling. A lot of it came from being an honest person and understanding the investor. I know a lot of Wholesalers, especially today, are taught just like chase the deal, who cares, make an offer, go out and find someone, someone will buy it. That wasn't really my mantra. And it kind of made those people mad that had hired me because they were like, we just need you to just work. Like, stop asking so many questions, just work, lady. And I would go to like networking events with my little clipboard and just, hi, I'm looking to build my buyers list. And everyone was like, just get away, lady. So I did my hardest to learn, learn the most and, and get out there. And I did really well. I think at one point I sold like 16 properties in one week. So it was quite fun. Part of my success was because I found a better lender. So what that means is at the time my deals were falling through, the lenders were getting maybe just not being completely honest. And then towards the closing table, my investors were falling out because there's just too many surprises, just a lot of weird stuff going on. So I set out to find a better lender and I did. They're based out of Arizona and I just started funneling all my business through to them. It was able to make me scale as well as them scale. And then they asked to recruit me onto uh, the lending side. I took it. I was like, absolutely. I would love to you know, get away from this and start learning more about that. So I opened up their Houston office and focused solely on the Texas market. I enjoyed it. I learned, I've, I've learned a lot, but the way that their company was structured was not as creative for what our market is you know, the demand in our market and it's ever changing. I think I see a lot of lenders are beginning to change their terms as well, just to stay relevant. So I hit a wall, hit a ceiling. And next thing I know, Flipco is born. <laughs> so that's kind of the background story there before Flipco became a thing. I'd love to go back and unpack a few things that you said there. Well, one, San Antonio and Houston being a different market, yeah, they are. But I mean, San Antonio is a major market. Don't get me wrong. But yeah, compared to Houston, it's a, it's a different industry, different drivers and whatnot. But you said that you know, lenders are changing their terms to, to stay relevant and whatnot. What are you seeing in your field of those changes? So I don't want to speak you know, too confidently, but I will say that myself and my entire team, we've set out to research the market. We've done some rigorous research for the past, I want to say a few months now. I know that doesn't seem like a long timeline, but with a a good amount of people. We've got a lot of good information. What I am seeing, there's a lot of new lenders coming to the market. Mm -hmm. Some of the data that we've pulled in conversations we've had with the older guys that have been in the market 10 plus years, they were saying back then their terms were, you know, all day long, 14% interest in three points. And that was, you know, like the bread and butter right there. Today, Mm -hmm. that wouldn't really fly, at least in the Houston market. Maybe 
I, I'm not, I, I could not speak on other markets, but for the most part in Texas, we're pretty, pretty competitive. Again, there's so many new lenders coming to the market and, you know, there's just these, these prices are kind of being driven down. I've been noticing, you know, we got started on this research months ago. You go back to those same guys and it's almost like their interest, you know, they're pretty, everyone's pretty vague about their interest because everything's a case by case scenario, but they seem to have driven down their, their vague terms into something a little bit lower. So you're looking at like not usually anything more than than two to three points, whereas before people were confident with saying there would be four points up front plus a bunch of other stuff. I think the market is just changing and people are realizing private money is more interesting than <laughs> conventional lending. It's interesting that, you know, with, with interest rates and depending on who you listen to, you know, what side of the aisle, it's going to be great or we got inflation coming. And, you know, as a private lender myself, I'm I can't wait for interest rates to rise myself because <laughs> it's, you know, it's my money generating that, that cash. So the better, but I have noticed some of the lenders around town that I've spoken to that, you know, the money that they go borrow, they're, they're having to, you know, come down or the money that they're lending out, I should say, they're having to come down and therefore, you know, where they're getting their money, they have to give them less as well. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of players are, are hitting the markets. Every time I, I talk to an appraiser, it seems like there's a new hard money company coming in and, you know, from someplace else or whatever. But anyhow, I, I was just, we'll get into sort of the, the market a little more later. I just, uh, before I'm getting old and ADD and I, I just wanted to make sure I got that question you know, to you before we moved on. So tell me about Flipco. You, you found it in, in November. Your team's been doing a lot of research. You are, I saw from the photos, predominantly, I mean, there's a couple of guys, but you're predominantly a female-based team. You're in, and like the reason I wanted you on this, this podcast is I'm, you know, I'm a daughter, daddy, and I, I love stories like yours. You know, like there's, everybody has, you know, Mike Tyson said it best. Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth, right? You know, so you can, you know, I had my, I was going to go to college and do, no, no, that's changed. So tell us how, um, I mean, that's a big pivot in 2020, COVID 2020. So tell us about that. Um, yeah, so I know it is kind of a risky time to say, "Hey, let's uh, let's see if this uh, let's throw pasta at the wall and see if it sticks with this idea." But to be honest with you, I was lending even during COVID. I know for March we kind of settled down a little bit. Everyone was kind of weary of what was going to happen, but I never stopped lending with the company that I was with. So what happened with Flipco was it's, it's quite an interesting story. I found an angel investor that you know listened to me, listened to the business model had already known and realized that that business model was still working throughout, you know, COVID situation, real estate was still going, investors were still needing funds and private money is something that is becoming more and more attractive to a lot of the bigger type of investor. I call mine an angel investor. I got really lucky with them, gave them the business model, showed them the track record, and they went were absolutely for it. They did initially put in their personal funds for it, but quickly we found out that that wasn't going to be enough. I think in the first week we had already cleared about a million or were, were projected to clear about a little over a million and they were putting in 5 million of their funds. So there was no way we would be able to scale. However, I was very strategic with this one. They have unlimited amount of funds that they're able to use through their bank contacts. They're a very large company. They open a lot of companies underneath and the way that they structure these these companies and these models to be attractive to these banks is something that I hope to get involved with here this year, just starting with them already at the beginning stages, because that's a whole other animal. But we have on my team, we have one guy that's solely dedicated to working with 
their banks that they already do and projecting our business and and what would be our our scenarios. And that way we're attracting more and more funds. So now we today have 10 million (laughs) to work with. And we just got started in November. So banks really like the idea, especially when it comes to real estate. So it hasn't been that hard for them to convince banks to give us money for this lending on these deals. Flipco, immediately they gave me everything I needed from IT to attorney to marketing people, anything that I needed, anyone I wanted to hire. And we just kind of took off with it. And that's why we've been able to go so quickly. When I initially gave it to them, I said, probably by the 120th day, we would be ready to start looking at deals. And we were already funding within 45 days. That's how quick everyone jumped on board for this. <laughs> just pretty exciting. I remember there was a little chatter on, on social media where your, your profile kind of like, it, it didn't go away, but it went dark. And then the it came back and quick with Flipco and just you know talking to you you know prior to this interview just the speed at which everything came together. I mean that must have just I mean what happens when you get everything you want you've ever asked for? <laughs> you know, right? It never happens like that for me. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I was about to say that it's uh that's 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 awesome. So you guys you know 120 days you're funding within 45, which by the way is your average bank time on a purchase anyway for a you know your personal residence so that to go from idea inception to you know actually the mechanics of the money flowing that that's, I'm that's still, quite impressive I'm still baffled by it I, I you know I would have never thought it was going to turn into this <laughs> that's, Good. Sure. that's awesome I'm glad hey, at least we know there's a high you know there's a high interest for this kind of business if you if someone was ever interested in taking this business model over to someone else who you know was like an angel, angel investor like myself there's people out there that you know, want to jump into this. Well, absolutely. Well, you know, it's the same reason, you know, it's hard assets. You know, look, things can happen. You know, no, no investment's 100% safe, but no one's going to short a house and drive up the price like they did with GameStop, right? There's no, you know. That'll never happen. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, I'm not saying that things couldn't get manipulated, but that's not going to happen. And, you know, worst case, I always, people say, well, how many points do you charge? You know, they always want to know, like you said, to your point is, what's your points, what's your interest rate? And it depends on the project, you know. I've, Lowered my rates for you know some some passion projects for for people basically you know, and I've raised it you know when I thought that I, I don't want to chase you know risk but if I'm going to do this I'm going to have to you're going to have to pay me some more but I always like to the way I look at it is I always average foreclosure in Texas is about fifteen hundred dollars, so the borrower has to at least come with that fifty they have to pay for their foreclosure to me up front <laughs> at least right so that goes I put it away and you know God forbid if I have to. Uh, you know, foreclose and the money's there. I just send it over to the attorney and, and I'm done. So, so uh, you got flip code. I mean, I say this sounds bad. It didn't land in your lap. I mean, there was a lot of hard work that went through it, but it, I guess it came to fruition a hell of a lot quicker than. Yeah. You know, it's almost like the angel investor fell into my lap. It was just in conversation. And then that conversation was told to someone else who they knew had been working on, on this model, but didn't have anyone to fill in the blanks basically. So really, I don't know if you believe in the power of manifestation and hard work, but I would say that it's a real thing. <laughs> I'm a firm believer that everything we want is just on the other side of hard work, right? So talking about the model. So what is the model? What type of loans are you um, you know, putting out there for, for investors? Yeah. So right now we're focusing on fix and flip and bridge loans, uh, mainly our fix and flip loans. The bank really likes to see that. And that's how we're building our, you know, our portfolio, our rapport with the bank. So right now, what we're offering is 10% interest and two and a half points. We, again, it's all, like you said, case by case scenario. A lot of guys might be in and out of the loan. So we are requiring guaranteed interest rate is what we're calling it. So at least four months on a six month loan, 
that's usually fair because honestly, if guys are still trying to get in and out of it, it still takes about four months anyway. So it's not like we're, you know, saying, well, you have to, we're guaranteeing your entire loan of interest. And the reason why we, I feel like it was a lot of back and forth. So the team was like, I just think that we're a little too competitive with our pricing is we're the new guys on the block. We're trying to scale. We're trying to go national. No one's going to recognize us or pay attention to us unless we look attractive. So that's why I would say our terms are where they are at because we also don't charge any other fees. So there's nothing. We're just collecting that two and a half and their 10% interest. And that's kind of, but mostly fix and flip. And we're still, we're still working slow. So we're not, we're not quite ready to release the dragon. <laughs> right, right. I want to get back to the bridge, but the, the fix and flip that you mentioned, you don't charge any fees, no appraisal fees, no. No, we don't. So we do in-house underwriting a lot of, again, so. <laughs> yeah. say so let's get into that. You do in-house underwriting. Yeah, I know. People, people get nervous when, when, especially lenders, they're like, you do what? And so our idea is we're not trying to be the lender for everyone. We do want to work with quality borrowers and we want to work with mostly repeat clients. So we're not trying to be your next, you know, big hard money lender. Quality borrower means that those people have done more than enough due diligence. And of course, like it says in the background, never trust, always verify. Our job is to pull that thing apart and look under rocks. We do have an in-house attorney that does a, uh, a search of title. I know title's already supposed to handle that, but we have our guy immediately doing that just in case there's something that actually won't be cleared and we won't find that out till last minute. And we do have a good team that has a lot of, of experience in our market that, you know, appraiser or underwriter, or if you're licensed for it or not, it's an opinion and value. And for us, that's more, that's with our knowledge, that's more, more than enough for us to feel confident on a deal. And of course, if it's something that's a little bit more, it's different, it's out of the box, we would, we would hire a third party appraisal for that. But other than that, we do our, in our underwriting in-house. And again, the idea is for us to be competitive in our market. And so that would mean that we need to streamline the process. If we can, if we say we can fund within 48 hours, we need to be able to do that if all parties are ready to go. And again, we're just trying to look really attractive. <laughs> You're funding within 48 hours of application mm -hmm. or acceptance of application, I should say? Yeah, we can usually approve a borrower within 24 hours right now. And we want to keep it that way. So part of part of the ability to keep it that way is we will have to hire on more people as we scale. But right now we have enough. We're not moving quite as quickly as we should be. So it gives us the ability to approve someone within 24 hours. We're not doing credit checks. We're doing financial statements. We're doing bank statements. We're doing experience. We're doing, you know, conversations with these people. A lot of it, and, I'm, and I was actually having this meeting earlier, a lot of it has to do with a borrower's character. So, I mean, for example, I'm almost to the closing, to the end of an option period with one of my flips. And now I've got to change all of the piping because of, you know, sediment has, it's just a whole mess. And a lot of people can't handle that kind of stress. They're, they're, they're just like, they, they won't be able to take that to the finish line. And this is probably the, the fifth uh, extended option period that I've had on this property, but I don't give up. So if you have a good feel for a borrower that gives you that kind of mentality, has the experience, has the funds, has uh, the financial statement, I mean, that should be enough, at least for now. We do plan on pulling credit in the future, though, like a soft pull. I don't myself, but I make sure that the borrower knows that I, I can and will if need be, right? You know, because at the end of the day, I'm worried about more of the asset or I break it down. I want to know the person, like you said, to, the, to your point, to their character. I want to know the process that they're coming to. You know, is this a flipper who's doing his 20th or her 30th flip? 
that makes me feel a lot better than somebody with three rental properties going, Hey, I'm going to start flipping now. You know, that, so there's a process. And then at the end of the day is, is the property, right? Is, you know, if, if the worst comes to worst, if I have to take this thing back and foreclose, you know, are the numbers there? Is the margin there? Is it going to be worth my while? Cause I'm, I'm very lazy. I'm very passive. That's why I like private lending. I don't have to deal with toilets, or termites, or um, my last rental with stage four cancer. That was complete bogus <laughs> lie, but that in bankruptcy got, he got four more months out of free rent out of me after that. But anyway, yeah, so that's, I'm, I'm very lazy. Like, you know, and so I, I'm, I always ask lenders, you know, sort of what's their process. We all know, you know, sort of know the bank process, right? You got to give everything. You got to do, um, I'd call it the financial colonoscopy for the last two years of, you know, every credit card savings account, you know, yeah, just yeah. show me that you can cover my interest payments and, you know, get this thing going and you got some reserves and I'm good. I don't need to, you know, the expense of pulling it. Do you require money down on your deals? It depends. Normal. So I'll give you a prime example. My first commercial deal I ever did was a little strip center and uh, the borrower wanted 70,000 to purchase it. And then he was going to owner finance it and all this other stuff. But he's going to, my note was there for six months. It was acquisition only, interest only. And then he was going to get some commercial bank paper to buy me, you know, to refinance me out. Right. And so I went and looked at the property. I remember I took my kids too, which is not, I don't recommend people with there's broken glass and nails everywhere. <laughs> but I told him, I said, look, if this property appraises for 150,000, you got, I'll give you the 70 to, you know, purchase it. And well, we got, I had to get a, a commercial appraiser because that's out of my wheelhouse. I can look at single family all day and feel pretty good about it. Anyway, the appraisal came back at 305,000. And I said, no, here, here's 70. <laughs> like, and I, you can default and I will loan to you again. You know, like, if you bring me a deal like that, you know, I will absolutely. So, and, and that's someone that's trusted here. You know, it's got a lot of, he's starting to get some gray hairs here and he's, I like gray hairs. That tells me that people have been doing it a long time, not to, to bad mouth youth. Cause I was, I was there trying to, you know, work my way up to, and I understand it's frustrating, but you know, when it comes to money, you want to see people who, to your point, know what they're doing and, you know, they're going to do the right thing. And, and they can take, a, you know, a f- busted pipes and a freeze and, you know, every, and then everything else. More. You just keep, I'm still like figuring, I think we finally found all the problems that that storm caused now, but it was quite an interesting thing. We actually do require money down on all of them. So we require 10% of the total loan amount. So if they're requesting their purchase and the rehab, they're bringing 10% of that to the closing table. So that helps us mitigate risk. Not only do they have money in the deal, it makes it a little harder for them to walk away if they, if they wanted to have that choice. But it also shows us that they have the ability to put that money down too. And so it's a different kind of, I mean, all day long, I got people asking me for hundred percent financing. <laughs> And I'm still wondering who does that. It's very rare. I mean, it's all case by case. At the end of the day, everything is yeah. case by case. You know, you come to me with an LTV of 30%. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to need it. And do what you need to do. Here's the money, right? But no, if you're coming in, <laughs> you know, if you're asking for 75%, 70%, you know, no, you're going to have to, my money and my terms. So you're going to have to bring, I'm not going to tell you how much you have to bring, but I know what I'm not bringing. So anything over, you got to bring to the closing table and- you know, and put it because, like you said, if they don't have skin in the game, they can walk away from it. Oh, yeah. And then, I mean, honestly, some lenders maybe are set up, and, and I have seen it, they're set up to foreclose on properties. That's what they want to do or mm-hmm. okay with doing. Personally, I don't want to deal with that, especially with what's going on right now. I just don't know. I don't understand the court system, how it is today, and what they plan on doing with it. So I just don't, I don't touch that. That's what lawyers to- are for. Just pay the lawyer, let them handle it. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, right. that's worst case. I mean, that's, you know, 
worst case is the borrower pays like, you know, you only get what the borrower agrees to pay and they sell the house and, you know, you move on. But, you know, I, I mean, you get into predatory lending and yeah. I certainly do not look at private loans as an acquisition, you know, means to acquire properties. Sometimes it happens, but I mean, that is a, a casualty of it. But uh, by and large, you know, there's laws against stuff like that. So <laughs> try to stay above, uh, you know, hands on the table, stay above board and, you know, yeah. you'll, you'll be fine. So you have the ability to do bridge loans. Walk us through what a typical bridge loan from Flipco would look like, sort of the scenario. What was the deal look like? You know, honestly, we haven't done one yet, but we're, we're open to it. We're waiting for someone to bring us one. We've mostly done fix and flip. To be honest, I would say that we are, um, we're looking at charging more points for something like that, a higher, of course, with money down into the deal as well. But for the most part, we have not, we have not solidified terms for that just yet. It's in the works though. Okay. In the works. We're working on it. We're working our way up. It's <laughs> something I've sort of dabbled in, but I, I've kind of gotten away from, you know. Well, why would you, why did you get away from it out of curiosity? Everyone that was coming to me, they'd already sank too much money into the deal. You know, mm-hmm. so from an equity standpoint, if, if I had to foreclose, then there was no room for me after I paid a realtor, you know, and, or the lawyer and, you know, put it up on the market and everything. There was no equity there for me. There was no protection for what everyone was bringing me. And the guys that had the great deals didn't have to come to me <laughs> because by, you know, when the numbers work, you know, if it's a deal that you'll find the money, right. Yeah. You know? And so I let, you know, it's, I get voicemails all the time. People, strangers, Hey, I got a great deal, you know, looking for some money and everyone's got a great deal. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, then why are you calling me? Yeah. And if it's, it's a great deal, every hard money lender in town would be all over it. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that is the truth. And I don't think people realize that as well. And another thing I've noticed with investors. So on my side of stuff, they've already got the deal. They're looking for financing Mm. investors. Financing should be the first thing. I don't know why that's a second. That's an afterthought for people. They're so crazy about chasing the deal and they they know nothing about how the finance side of it works. (laughs) And it's just scary. A lot of people are that way. They they don't understand the finance side of it. Uh, like what are you saying? Like what do you mean? I don't understand. Like what sort of mistakes or what are they doing? Well, a lot of them, like I said, they're hey, what would you what would you loan on this? But when they're coming to me, they're coming to all the other lenders, and they've never used hard money before, or they claim to have used hard money. They claim they got the best terms ever, and then when you go down into breaking it down and and learning what, <laughs> sorry, then go back to that guy. <laughs> Okay, he's only he's one hundred percent financing. No, no appraisals, nothing. Okay, yeah, go to. The, I always tell people if that's what you're getting, by all means, I can't beat that. You should absolutely go that way. Like yeah. investor to investor, like I totally get it. So what I mean by that is, you know, you get on that conversation with them. You're 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 talking to them about it, and it almost turns into an educational conversation from there. And you're just wondering in your head, like you've done all of this due diligence, this work to find this deal, but you didn't even think about getting the financing set up and you don't really understand how hard money works or private money or whatever it may be. Mm. And I don't understand that. (laughs) Now, this isn't with everybody, of course, but it is with a good amount of people. I mean, it's quite interesting. Yeah. I haven't done much real estate investing recently just because I have to go so far outside of Houston to really find for the level of work that I'm willing to put into lead generation. Okay. I, I should caveat that. I got plenty of jobs. I don't need another one. And you yeah. know, lead gen doesn't need to be another one. But I kind of, you know, backed away and I've been sort of patiently as my loans come due, you know, building up cash because I'm, you know, keep waiting for whatever's around the you know, that corner just keeps getting pushed down the road a little further. But yeah, it's 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 hard to find everyone's trying to do it. Everyone wants to be a landlord. And I think this freeze is going to show people like uh, it's work. I mean, I don't 
you know, it's not passive. I mean, private lending is not passive. It's the most passive, but it's not passive. It's uh, <laughs> still got to put work into it. You got to protect your money. And, you know, and like to your point there, you're, you're having to educate people when th- that should be built into their model is I'm going to have to you know, three points, 11 percent, whatever. So if they can negotiate something down, then great. It just you know boosts their margin that much more, and a lot of people, uh, especially if you're borrowing from a, a someone with a self-directed IRA, they don't like it when they they get hit with the IRA fees because I I don't pay them. I make my borrowers pay them, uh, all my fees out of my IRA. So back to your point, you don't charge fees and whatnot, which is I see a lot of a lot of lenders are doing that now. It's a more all-encompassing. Anyway. Ha- it's almost like you have to be. It's the the market is just getting so competitive. I don't. I mean, I just. You know, we don't want to not charge fees. We need to make money. But again, we're so new and we're just trying. So we're, we're willing to bite that bullet. But yeah, I don't foresee it being a forever thing. <laughs> yeah, no. So your borrowers, what, tell us a typical borrower, demographic experience, what, what they do before, just kind of, what does that look like? Yeah. Our demographic is who we chase after, in other words. So we're looking for people with experience. Uh, Right now, we're looking for mainly fix and flip guys. We're trying to find projects that are within six months, maybe a little bit over, but we're not really interested in in year-long projects right now, just because we have to get the money working. We're in a different stage of business. But surprisingly, the majority of my clients are females. which is quite interesting as mentioned, or as known, you know, male dominated industry, but I guess when female to female kind of thing. So I do, I have, I have uh, mostly female clients. I think I have maybe right now active loan wise, maybe just a handful of, of males. Yeah. Are they full-time investors or are these, you know, they have other careers and, you know, just flip not so much on the side, but are at like, where are they in the investment game? They are real estate agents. <laughs> they're real estate agents. Yeah, they are real estate agents. <laughs> so they're on the hustle. Okay, that makes they're sense. Started, they're figuring it out. You know, it's not all about traditional real estate. Good so, for them. Because okay. funny, you go to any RIA meetup or whatever, you know, and there's like, you know, there's going to be a handful of women there, sure, but it's all guys. Oh, and usually God. the same ones kicking tires, you know, time and time. I will again. tell you, real estate agents are very hard to work with. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a it's a whole different uh, way that they look at 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 an investment property versus the other way of looking at it, and it's just a it's not a bad thing. It's you know they're 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 picking up details that other investors probably would not pick up because they don't have that background, that experience in dealing with the emotional side of the sale, which is the buyer and you know the not usually the seller if they're selling for an investor. The investor's like, hey, these are my numbers, just get it out of the way. I don't care. But the buyer is you know. All kinds of different things, <laughs> and it's an emotional buy mostly uh, for the buyer. Well, it's a good friend of mine handled my last two transactions of my personal residence, and yeah, I just I said, look, I'm really good friends with her husband. I was like, look, I, I know she's good and all, but like, I was like, there is so you're you're leaving so much on the table right now, you know, just keeping it with retail, yeah. you know, real estate, real estate agents. I was like, you, there's more ways to make money off real estate than just selling it, you know, so. And, oh, interesting. So, that's awesome. Well, predominantly women in, in real estate agents. That, that's awesome. That's cool. Cause that's just completely not, not what I was expecting. Right. I was like, you know, I was, I was, you know, your average, your average borrower, 55 bald gray, if he does have hair, you know, and when I pitched the idea, that's what I told them. I was like, listen, this is going to be our demographic. They're cargo short flip-flop wearing guys, you know, you don't need to be fancy, just be transparent with them. And that's kind of it. And then here I am with a bunch of hey, emails well, and <laughs> totally off. Whatever. I think I think it's great, especially, you know, your, your startup, you're just, you know, and your your clients are people that are hustlers as well. So I, I just I, I like the I like the story. 
So curious, I was looking up on MLS the other day, since you do your own underwriting in-house and I was, what I like to call the bread and butter houses, you know, that 150,000 and below, big decrease Mm -hmm. in February, right? So from 100,000 and below sales decreased by 40%, 100 to 150 days decreased by 42.8%. I mean, now this is retail, this is MLS, you know, this, but it is a good market, you know, I think a good indicator of, of where the market is. And this is why I'm seeing, I'm not saying this is crazy, but this is what makes me uncomfortable with the market. I understand it. And I understand why the money's flowing here, but houses above 750,000 increased by 65%. The sales have increased, which makes sense. If you're coming in tumultuous time, you put your money in a hard asset. You can also make that your homestead, which protects that, that, that asset even, even further. So for the rich to do that, or the rich, the people who can afford a $750,000 home in February of 2021 are doing that. What are you seeing? What range are your flips, your loans coming in at for the, the loan amount, but also what's the ARV, that, that range? Yeah, that's a good question. And we actually had this, this discussion. We were almost like, is our bread and butter going to be the higher end flips? Is that where we're headed? Because I think I've only had just a few of you know your lower end 150 ARV. And the majority of our ARVs, I want to say right now are in the 400 to 500, 700 range, which is really interesting. And again, this is coming from real estate agents who they're looking at it. It's a weird thing. It's it's coming from a, a different demographic, I think is where that's where that's happening. These houses are not bad, but they do need love. And it's almost like these, this, my, my clients are seeing that potential that no one else is seeing, and they're just willing to jump on it in a sense. But Yes. So we talked about that. We saw the change in, in the market and then it's, and then we're looking at what we're funding on. We were planning. I, I mean, when we talked about it, I was saying on average, our, our ARVs are going to be, you know, 250, $300,000 homes. And we've been looking at higher end homes. So we have big, big amount of money out on those kind of deals, which is really interesting. And we're not at the stage where those deals have been listed just yet. So I couldn't really tell you what's going on with them. But we do have two that are listed under 200000 and they went under contract immediately for over what I had valued it at. And it was over by ten to 25000 So it just... And one thing that I look at when I'm underwriting a deal is the pocket and how many actives are in the area. So if this pocket has a high demand, it almost makes me go back to my my most recent, our last deal before this last one. I valued it at 285. Appraiser came back in at 285 when I had the buyer, but we sold it for 327. So it's like, whoa, right? And we sold it at 327 because I saw there was no other actives Nothing has sold that was investor updated in the past 365 days. And so there was a need in the pocket and that thing sold three days on market for, to a cash buyer. I listed it at 333, 333,000 and they came at me with 285 because that's what they're... So I came back at them at 327 and then they came back at 315. And I said, well, if you can go from 285 to 315, you're going to pay me my 327. And they did. <laughs> So I, again, it goes to when you're under, when you're looking at these deals, look at how much is, is active on the market and, and or pending. And I mean, that tells you how popular this deal is going to be as a lender. I probably baby my clients a little bit too much. Cause I will 
I will tell them that that's probably not the deal for them. You know, you've got 14 other actives. They're all investor updated and they're all like 96 days on market. You what? what are, how are you going to be special? You're going to be stuck in this loan a lot longer than you expected, which puts me at risk for foreclosing on the property because they're going to get to the point where it bleeds them out that they are not going to want to just do anything else with the property. So we're going to get in the weeds here. When you say these houses, you know, you have 14 comps that are pending 96 days and they're all investor updated. How are you confirming their investment properties? You can tell when you look at them. So I do have access. I'm a licensed real estate agent. I've never used it for traditional stuff. I'm, to be honest, I don't really care to understand how it works. <laughs> but for the most part, You're honest. it's a little tedious conversation. Yeah, okay, I got the contracts part down, but everything else, like, can we just... Anyways, so when you're looking at a property, you're looking at the year that it was built. So if it's a 1985 build and the thing looks like a brand new modern home, an investor most likely went and updated that. If you look at its history, I mean, I don't usually go that deep into it, but if you look at its history, you can see it was bought or you know bought for a certain price, yada, yada. If it was on market, if off market, then it's all just kind of you know, common sense and you're trying to figure it out. But I do, when I'm underwriting, I'll say things between like, this looks like a seller's do-it-yourself charm. It's not necessarily an investor updated. And it's funny because investors kind of follow the same theme, <laughs> at least in the Houston market. I mean, I think for a while people were doing yellow doors and like aqua blue doors or something. That right there tells you most likely investor. Now let's go inside and see what the property looks like. Quartz countertops, you know, and then you see it in the in the body of the of the description, investor updated. I mean, there's so many signs that will tell you. Yes, I don't have access anymore to the MLS. I never. Well, I probably shouldn't say. Anyway, I I don't have access. I'm not a licensed agent, but I I would barter because when I started lending, I didn't trust appraisers or anybody, and so I I went to people like Ray Sasser here in Houston, and I said, "How do you comp a property? You know, you yourself, not just the general way of you know." You know, someone, hey, can I just get a quick CMA, you know, market analysis with three properties that happen to be somewhere in the area? And so that's what I was, that's what I really I was, I was asking the question, digging into obviously the MLS, the listings, and you, don't, you know, Zillow will tell you if it's, if it's on the MLS, then you can, you know, pull through other th- third party sites now or HAR here in Houston. But yeah, that's one of the things yeah. that um, you just do it long enough, you kind of know, you know, like, like you said, what's a handyman special or, you know, what house grandpa raised everybody and then fixed it up, you know, and, and let it go. Or to your point, yeah, this is a, a three, two ranch in spring, you know, in the middle of Houston. And it looks like, you know, Mediterranean oasis. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. That's, that's you know, so, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. So that's just, like yeah. That. I also very, look, I'll look at um, the, the appraisal district. I'll look at the history of sales. You know, if I, if, if it's there, if, you know, obviously if you see an LLC, you know, if you look yeah. through, uh, you know, even the county Remember. clerk and you see, you know, hard money lenders on the notes, on the deeds of trust and whatnot, then it's, mm-hmm. I right now would love to buy property in 77084. I would hate to sell it. I would not want to be selling property there right now because uh, it's all investment. Everyone, mm-hmm. it's all going to be, you know, it's all going to be a rental market at, at some point. So. Yeah. Another one that I use is there's nothing wrong with third party. I know people are like, oh, well, where'd you get your value from Zillow? I mean, there's really nothing if you're if you're specifically looking for something to value. I mean, it all depends on who's looking at it. But I use Redfin a lot because I'll do a lot of soft loan quotes almost every single day. You know, these deals don't get through. Their offers don't get accepted. But Redfin is a quick way to see how off these people are when you're just doing soft loans. You type in the address and it'll show you it populates exact uh, comps of that certain property, like from build to size to bedrooms. And then it'll pull it up just right next to each other. And it'll say when it's sold and you just like quickly kind of scroll through it and it gives you a broad understanding. So if, you know, the max one was like 
sold for 315 and this guy's thinking he can sell it for 600,000. Well, then that's, you know, we're going to require some, you know, but right off the bat, just to give you a good idea, Redfin, Redfin is not, not too bad. The app on the phone. I don't know about the website. I haven't used that. <laughs> yeah, I remember years ago and I was working on oil rigs, researching properties and everyone would say, you know, I went to Zillow and my house is worth 50,000 more than what my neighbor just sold it for. And this, that, and the other thing. And, and I will get, not to beat on Zillow, but they have reined it in, you know, uh, with technology and, and whatnot. And I've used Redfin. I've been, I didn't pull the trigger on the loan or, or buy the house, but I looked at some properties south of town in El Campo. And even though it's still in the Houston MLS, it Redfin, I found it to be, uh, was pretty informative. I knew that I wouldn't, I was not willing to, willing to put the money on the property as an investor or a lender either way. So um, yeah, it's not all bad. Like you said, third party's not all bad. Yeah. And if they plan on adding square footage or bedrooms and Redfin doesn't really help, you gotta, you gotta dig, you gotta go in there and tear the deal apart at the yes, end of the day. Absolutely. absolutely. If anyone would like to, and guys don't, don't be shy. You, you will lend them in, I take it. <laughs> so, but yeah, how can people get in touch with you? I would say email is probably the best. It's direct to me. I'm sitting in front of it all day, every day. And that's Kayla at flipcofinancial.com. You sent me your social. I'll put that in the show notes as well. And yeah, like I said, I love the story. Wish you all the best. Hope to have you on here soon when you're, you know, so busy, got so many loans and so many, you know, affiliate offices around the country or, or you know, whatever, you know, whatever happens. But I want to, I want to thank you for coming by today and stopping in and telling us about your underwriting, telling us, you know, what it is that, that you do so that, cause you know, private lenders that's it's a business it works i mean and this is case in point so and yes emailer flipcofinancial.com kayla thank you so much for coming on today yeah thank you appreciate it it was a lot of fun <laughs> and there you have it folks i'd like to thank kayla wojuk from flipco financial for stopping by today and discussing their lending criteria and how she analyzes local comparable sales while underwriting loans to learn more about Kayla and the folks at Flipco Financial, head on over to the show notes page. This is episode 124. For links to Flipco's social media, their website, and information on how to contact Kayla directly if you're interested in borrowing from them. Well, that's going to do it for episode 124. I want to thank again. Thank you for your time. I don't charge money to produce this show, but I would be extremely grateful if you would help me get the word out and increase awareness by leaving me an honest rating and review over at iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or whatever platform you are using to hear my voice. It's a small but quick request that'll pay us both dividends. One, it earns a bigger following for the podcast, and two, you get to erase some negative karma. No, it's true. Seriously, try it. Remember, Lender Nation, if you'd like to get started on your private lending journey but don't know where to start, head on over to privatelenderpodcast.com forward slash Inc. That's I-N-K to learn more about how you can begin private lending in the Houston area with my friend Paul Lamnados. And don't forget to join the Private Lender Podcast Facebook group. Again, you can go to the show notes page to get the link because it doesn't have a fancy name, just one of those numbers after the group. So head on over for that. But don't forget, Private Lender Podcast Facebook group. Join the community and contribute. Learn a lot from a lot of smart people. Okay, that's going to do it for today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your time. And besides self-awareness, I wish everyone safe and prosperous private lending. And I'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Private Lender Podcast with your host, Keith Baker. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit privatelenderpodcast.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time.